0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
1: I guess the question then becomes: How much do you stay in touch? How much do you bombard? Because between social media and e-newsletters, there's got to be a limit. I know there's no magic number, but it just just be mindful of it as you measure the stats. I guess, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking to you, Dan. You're you know you're the maven at it, at it but. But really, watch the stats, and, and
2: you don't want to tick people off. No, and on social media as well. Don't bug people too much on social media anymore. You know, Posting more than a couple times a day is kind of unheard of at this point, especially on Facebook. So just keep it light. Keep it to the essentials. Um, also, uh, my, my entrepreneurial dilemma was, uh, was, is a big one. Uh, what do I put in the holiday greeting, Josh? Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, both. Uh,
1: happy Kwanzaa, uh, you know, happy, You know, it's, it's Hanukkah's over, so Hanukkah, Hanukkah's over, however, I, you know, I've been receiving, you know, holiday greetings since the beginning of December when Hanukkah was there. So do you really run the gamut? No doubt. It's safest to put happy holidays. Uh, and for me, I, I guess, you know, you don't, you don't always know who your clientele are. So you don't want to piss anybody off. That being said, use happy holidays, but find something else to go with it. Find something else that, that, you know, can trigger some attention, you know, don't worry so much about the, about the, the, the two words, worry about the message for us. I know when we're creating our card, it's, it's actually the longest discussion we have is what's the message that we want to send out. And then it's bang for the buck. Do you want to spend, you know, 40 hours building a message in a video and all that, or do you just want to get something succinct and out because here today, gone tomorrow, uh, so I'm I'm a believer more of happy holidays because it it's a little safer, doesn't offend, and it really attracts all your customers. But in addition to that, find something else that that can attract. Find something else that that is really geared towards people and not one sective people. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I I think I said Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, but we'll have to debate that internally tomorrow. Um, Josh, uh, first a couple of quick notes. One of which is a follow up from last week. We're talking about uh, uh, the, the, the the trade dispute between Canada and China. Uh, Canada, uh, acting on a U.S. warrant, detained a executive from the telecom company Huawei. And now, two Canadians have been detained in China, presumably as some sort of retaliation. Let's leave the politics aside and just talk about some of the business effects. And China is uh, is, is a lot of Chinese uh, people are boycotting uh, a, a landmark Canada Canadian brand, actually.
1: And Canada Goose has definitely been targeted by the Chinese. Uh, that you know, Canada and the Chinese, and and I I've been there many. Times and they love imported product. They have typically loved Canadian product in the past. Uh, they continue to do so. But when you're attacking one of their own, there's definitely going to be some some fallback. And there's an attack on Canada Goose. Canada Goose sales have dropped. Canada Goose share price has dropped. Uh, two weeks ago was hovering just below seventy dollars, and and uh, at the the opening of today was probably around I think it was around fifty two. So even the share price has dropped quite a bit. Even even equally so. The Chinese equivalent brand has really, you know, I won't say skyrocketed, but jumped by about ten, fifteen percent. So there's really a play on there. That being said, it's not it's not everybody that's getting affected. Tim Hortons really hasn't changed that much. People are still using Tim Hortons there. IMAX, another Canadian brand, uh, you know, they haven't boycotted IMAX. So I think it's 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 very much hit and miss. Definitely to the smaller entrepreneur, I you know, the less well known. I don't think they're going to feel it from that aspect, uh, but from people's personal safety, they might.
2: The other thing is uh, that's worth noting is that uh, Canada Goose is not actually a Canadian company anymore. It was bought by the American firm Bain Capital, which, if you sound familiar, was that Mitt Romney who worked for Bain mm-hmm, Capital? So mm-hmm. Bain actually owns a majority stake in, in Canada Goose.
1: Yes. The question becomes it's it's North America at this point because it's Canada that detained, but it's U.S. that, you know, that that decreed or said, you know, please detain them on our behalf. So call it a North American hit.
2: RBC unveils their robo-advisor. This is getting interesting, um, talking to robots to buy financial products.
1: This is not the first one. I know a couple of years ago we spoke uh, BMO, uh, you know, and, and Chris is shaking his head because he's in the IT world, and we'll come to him in a minute. We didn't give him a microphone just yet. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, th- this is robo-investing. Is, this is not new on the block. It just happens to be newer for RBC that they piloted, they tested, they're coming out with it more f- full-blown. And it really is just a lesser expensive alternative alternative. alternative to investing. So for the for the I don't want to say less sophisticated people, but you know, people that really don't want to have that direct, uh, you know, those discussions with an investment advisor don't want to pay the one plus percent in fees. They can cut their fees in half and they can still let the AI take over. This is about AR. This is just one other artificial intelligence software that is coming to your neighborhood and right next to you and robo investing because it's ETFs. They, they, as long as you give them a guideline, give the AI, the, the, the um, the development the 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 parameters parameters, thank you the parameters then uh, then it'll go and do it and the reality is so much information online
2: I don't see why they couldn't finally this is an important one uh, to consider for your website and for your social media going into 2019 the phenomenon of splinternet tell us about that
1: splinternet now this is something you know I've really read recently and and certainly with the China versus U S you know, you, you definitely have these competing online solutions. You have, uh, you know, here you have your Googles and, uh, and that of the world there, you have your, 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 uh, um, Taibo, you have your, you have your Weibo, you have your, just, there's the equivalent online, whether it's search engine, whether it's, uh, Yoku for YouTube equivalent there, whatever it is, there's, there's WeChat. Of course, WeChat is, is very big in China. And it's competing with U.S. So the question is, is your brand that you have on Google, that you have on Amazon, that you have on whatever other U.S.-based software app, that doesn't necessarily hit the entire world anymore. That hits, uh, okay, maybe more than half the world, so that's great, but it doesn't hit the full world. So if you're really going after a global aspect and you want to hit the Asian population, certainly China, then you have to consider other platforms.
2: By the way, Google Plus—you heard the news there—that's uh, going to be shut down. That's Google's uh, unsuccessful social network that we all kind of we all have to fill out the profiles just to do it kind of thing. Uh, but they're going to shut that down in the coming months. By the way, so that's a—they're
1: uh, also looking—they're well. also looking to do a slightly censored version
2: for China called uh, Google Dragonfly, and I don't know if that's really going to fly either. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Chris from CDMS and talk about some IT and lots more issues. Plus, we'll talk about family businesses and transitioning your family business with FL's Michael Newton later in the program.
1: advice with a personal
0: touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
2: Welcome back to today's entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. And let's introduce our guest for this evening, our last entrepreneur profile of twenty eighteen, Chris Simeon of IT Solutions Firm CDMS. Welcome, Chris.
0: How are you doing, guys? Good, how are you? Josh, Dan. Very well, thank you.
2: Excellent, and
1: and you know uh, it's it's CDMS. It doesn't exactly tell the whole story. So, Chris, uh, what is CDMS?
0: So we're like you're like you just said an IT support company. Um, we work with companies that have IT departments already, and we complement those companies. So we we add we add support to what they have already. And for companies that don't have any IT support, then we become their IT support company. So they come to us for everything.
1: Now, when did you when did you start this?
0: Uh, Twenty two years ago now, nineteen ninety seven. So when I first started, it was actually not what what I have today it was not a was not intentional to be a company. I actually started this as a as a consultant. I just I saw a need in the market where um, where there was there was. Very, very little support or or companies were not doing the proper support as far as I was concerned. And I said, you know what, I'm going to throw my hat in in the race and see and see what I can do. But honestly, it was just one one man show going out there and and supporting companies. So you
1: were working elsewhere before.
0: I was was working elsewhere.
1: And not satisfied. So he said, you know what, if if I don't believe in the company I'm working for, it doesn't matter who it was back then. Then I want to create a service that I can be proud of.
0: And the funny thing is, I did believe in the company I was working for. Um, it was actually a software manufacturer. And the problem that I had is we were selling software to companies worth millions of dollars, but there really was no real support for this for this product. And so we had resellers, we had people that trained, but nobody knew it like we knew it. And it, funny enough, I went to my boss at the time and I said, I think we should do this. I think we should support customers that were selling them these products and and nobody's really supporting them. I and mean, I'm talking huge companies here. Um, and he said, no. He said, you know what? Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. And Thank you. And so I made a decision to go out there and help these people. I mean, so it was, it was
1: a, a, a void in the market and said, you know what? Let me just go. Yeah. Now, were you were you concerned like a family side? This was this is definitely a, a kind of a jump into the pond, a jump into the lake, leap, leap of faith, if you will.
0: Absolutely. So for... Uh, when you said family side, that's funny because at the time I had two very young kids. Uh, we had made the decision for my wife to stay home at the time. So here I am, I'm kind of leaping into the void. I don't know what to expect. Uh, although I did know a lot of people in the industry, um, if I failed, I mean, failure was not an option. Failure was not an option. Um, but honestly, I never expected a business to start from that. I, I thought I was going to be doing consulting work forever. Right.
1: Were you busy from day one?
0: From day one. From day one, I didn't stop. It was all over, all over North America, um, and people, like I said, people knew me. it was a product that was very specialized, so people knew me across North America. This is before the internet took off. this is before a lot of this stuff um, and the only, And the reason I actually started a business is because of an insurance my insurance broker he calls me up and says, um, "We'd like to sell you some um, some disability insurance." and I said, disability insurance. Why are you selling disability Well." a one-man show. I mean, what happens if you get hurt? What happens if you get hurt? So I said, you know what, something clicked in my head and I made a decision and the decision was not to buy more insurance, was to build a business. And so I went hundred miles an hour. I was working, God knows how many hours a day. Um, until I was able to hire the first guy and then the second guy and then the third guy. So wh-
1: so now that your your decision is validated that you yes. know there's a market out there, yep. was it very quick at that point to hire your first one, two people? Like is this in your first few months, first year or beyond?
0: Within, within the first year. So the way I... I... What I wanted to do and again this is I my background is a technical background it's not a business background so I wasn't going through this with a business plan saying I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that the, the the thing I wanted to do is protect the people I was hiring so when I was hiring people I I had to make sure that I had their salaries I had to make sure that I'm not pulling them out of a job that they're getting paid for already and within a few months they're they were going under right so I wanted to make sure I had their salary so it took me a little bit longer It took me probably seven or eight months to hire my first guy after the first one, within a month, I hired a second. Within three months, I hired a fourth, and we go from there.
2: When it comes to uh, the the era going back to decades, how how disorganized were some of the companies you were working with? I mean, there you're, you're pre a lot of any IT systems, pre email, pre all of that.
0: Very very disorganized. Very disorganized, and you know it's funny. Twenty years later, um, so we have a lot of bells and whistles today, and it's everything is easier supposedly, and everything's cooler, and depending on the size of the company, you still see that. You still see kind of the same stuff I was seeing 20 years ago where they have basically the same needs.
1: Now, you, you grew fairly rapidly. How many people are you today?
0: So today we are 50 in the company. Uh, I went as high as 150 at one point.
1: No, and and we're going to come to that story because I know part of the story is you sold and then you bought it back. Yep. But we're not there yet. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I have so many questions on that, but I, I kind of want to lead up to it. In the meantime as you're as you're building your your business and as you're adding people where where are you finding these technical people and they also have to be able to interact? It's not always easy to find forgive me but to find the it specialists that also have some interpersonal skills
0: um, it's not, and for me it was believe it or not, the interpersonal skills were almost more important than the technical skills so um I can teach somebody. Technical. I had a very good background technically. Um, finding the the people that had the same I'm going to call it the same value system as myself. So for me, the customers wanted me, and I and, and I started day one, and I was running. My feet never touched the ground. Is because the customer knew that I was never never going to let them down. I was going to work as many hours as it took to to get a problem solved. And that's actually what I did. I was a problem solver, right? Um, and the people that I was I was looking for after that. Were all people that had the same value system. If I, if they were working in an account, um, they were going to do whatever they need to do for a customer to get that done. And to this day, that's still my my value system. When I hire people, that's the first thing I look for, and then second thing is technical, and then and then everything else after that.
1: You mentioned earlier the the kind of the the rift or the difference between being a technician versus a a business person. Mm-hmm when you're a technician, people rely on you yep. as a business person, you know, they can't just rely on you. Yep. When did you kind of come to that realization and, and, and I guess empower your people to really, I don't want to say be the business owner, but take charge of those customers.
0: Um, so the, the folks that I hired uh, took care of the customers, but in reality, if I look at my business over the last 22 years, there's actually two versions of my business. So if I if I look at what I started, um, I had very good people, very smart people, uh, but ultimately I'm an entrepreneur. And so control, 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 control. I mean, it was always me. It was always, I was always at the center. I needed to talk to all the customers. I needed to make all the decisions, uh, whether it be accounting, whether it be whatever. Um, so um, version one, I'm gonna call it version one of my business until I sold and you wanna talk about that later um it was it was it, there was very little empowerment in fact i would be involved in everything i mean i would let them do their thing i would start the process short leash short leash i would let them do this and but i was always there always asking always checking always so
2: do you find it tough to convince clients that they need a certain technical uh program that they may not be familiar with especially in the security front that i find is a tough conversation to have sometimes
0: it is and it's and it's it's the It's the training. It's the training for the customer, right? They have to, so it depends on the size of the customer. So if you're talking a, a very, very large customer, that's not the case. They, they have, they have their staff and they do their research and they know what they're, what they're looking for. But as you start going, you know, uh, to smaller and smaller customers, um, it's it's harder to to do that, and it's expensive. That's not it's not just the. So we were talking about security before. It's not just the fact that you're you're trying to teach them about something or explain to them that there's a danger in what the way they're doing things. It's expensive. So you can go in and you know a box and a piece of software can cost twenty thousand dollars. So twenty thousand for, you know, a large corporation is nothing. But as you get into the smaller businesses,
1: now you're referring to version one before you're referring to version two. Yeah. Now what it, now. I, now I happen to know a little bit of the story behind the scenes. Yes. Um, you ended up selling your mm-hmm. business at one point, or most of your business. Yep. W- were you looking? Were you, were you just quickly? Were you Were you looking to sell? Was that an active search?
0: No. So what? When I started the business, um, the the most of my business, I would say ninety five percent of my business was actually out of the U.S. So we were doing so, like today, we're doing service desk or help desk. Uh, we're doing server support. We're doing, uh, you know, uh, you know, supporting again end users, right? And we we had major contracts out of the U.S. Uh, when I started, and the company was growing. And like I said a few minutes ago, the company went as high as 150 people. Uh, it was it was great. The U.S. dollar was where, where, uh, close to where it is today, so, and actually even 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 higher. Uh, and so the exchange was, was great. We were making, you know, we were making money. We were, were able to grow, support the customer, give whatever we needed to. Um, over a period of time, and everybody remembers the 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 2007-2008 fiasco that everybody went mm-hmm. through, the dollar had reached almost par with, with Canada. And I look around, and there's no, and I have very little Canadian business. I mean, I had probably 5 10% Canadian business, and the rest of it was the U.S. So I had to quickly, quickly turn the company around, knowing that, the U.S. was going to go out.
2: We we have to get more on that story. Uh, this has only happened a couple of times in, in the 10 years we've been profiling entrepreneurs, but uh, but wh- why an entrepreneur sells a business and then buys it back later. Some more on that with Chris Simeon of CDMS. On the way.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on FLMontreal.com.
2: Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur Inspiring Stories from Outstanding Business People. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're chatting with Chris Simeon of IT Solutions firm CDMS. And coming up in a little bit, we're going to chat with FL's Michael Newton on transitioning family businesses. Pretty good time to talk about that, Josh, over the holidays, because, uh, you know, those, those discussions happen. It's the yeah, end of the Family dinners, you know, you're, you're, you're talking over turkey. and yeah, We're tired, and, uh, you know, maybe it's the time to think about uh, the next step here. So maybe we'll just uh, turn that theme song down a little bit and uh, get back to, uh, to Chris. So Chris, one of the uh, one of the more interesting things that uh, we talk about with, and it's happened with a couple of entrepreneurs on the show in ten years, but very rare, um, someone sells their business and then later buys it back. So yeah. you we and we were chatting just before the
1: news. Uh, why why sell? Let's let's first quickly why sell the business? Were you looking to do that? I know you were very much in the U.S. Yeah, uh, and I guess looking for some type of partner. Maybe you can elaborate.
0: So I was in the US. So ninety-five, ninety, ninety-five 90, 95% of my business was out of the US. Um, the market was turning in the US. I saw the dollar creeping up, which made it very, very difficult for me to, um, you know, less and less money was coming in. We, we were actually at one point even losing money because the exchange rate was so, was so high. Um, I needed a partner and I needed somebody that can quickly open up the Canadian market for me. So I needed something that complemented what I did. So not in the same business as me. I didn't want I wasn't looking for somebody to buy the company that was going to come in and and decimate it and say look Yeah, I'm just tear it make to shreds it. and change That's it all up. Yeah. I, I was looking for somebody and in fact I found a company that what, what their business was, they were building uh, PCs, they were building servers and PCs. So they were a white box company if you want. Uh, selling most to government and municipalities. And they had no services, so I said, "Perfect, I'm gonna work with these people. I'm gonna add what we're doing." I, I actually sold seventy-five percent of the business, and not a hundred percent, so I kept twenty-five percent of that. And you remained uh, active, and I remained active, but in not company, in control. But not in control. So you so, didn't,
1: you couldn't, you couldn't feed that control freak nature nope, that you were talking I, about.
0: I could not feed the control feed. The, the, I could not do that. Plus, um, he he pushed me in directions that I ne- I didn't necessarily want to go. But again, this is no longer majority business of mine so i had no choice to go down that road within a few months um so they worked a lot with the government and if you guys remember 2007-2008 even the government wasn't buying anything anymore so they lost a ton of money i'm talking now 40 50 million dollars um which it down i mean it spiraled at that point Mm -hmm. the company was was looking to how did they get out Uh, there were the old money to the bank and the whole bit And just near the end, just when I saw that everything was going to just go out and they were going to take down CDMS with it, uh, I made an offer to the guy and they accepted And
1: And you bought it back. I bought it back. So within, from the time that you sold to the time you bought it back, how long was that? Less than a year. Now, here's the bigger question. From the time you bought it back that you had to rebuild, because you probably had to rebuild some of the name and some of that. How long did it take you to rebuild
0: I would say within the first three years of buying it back, uh, it was it was very difficult. So understand when I lost a U.S. customer base, um, more than a hundred people, I had to let go more than a hundred and thirty people actually. So that was that was very difficult, and that was during the transition. So the, the other company had had CDMs at the time. We lost the contract. We actually we bid for it, but the the price was too high for the U.S. customer, and and so here we find ourselves where. We're now down to a skeleton crew, right? We're down to 20 people. Um, We sacrificed. Honestly, I have very, very good people, and some of them are still with me. They've been with me for 20 20 years. Um, And we each took... We did what we needed to do, and on my case, I took a salary cut. I completely took out my salary for for three years, uh, to allow the company talk to about do a their... family sacrifice. You're, you you got to do what you got to do. At the end of the day, these especially the people are. So the, we're talking about version one, version two. So version two of the company, the biggest difference is the first one was mine. The second one was theirs. The second time I bought back the company was not for me because I could have I could have walked away. I had sold my business. I could have when you walked say theirs,
1: you mean for your team, for, for the, the team, employees for that the stayed.
0: Employees that stayed, absolutely. So. Version two of the company is them now building the company and me basically guiding them and saying, no, we're not going to do it like this.
2: Taking me back to the moment when you decided to, to buy it back, I mean, were you, did, were you planning on retiring? Were you on a beach sipping a pina colada somewhere and you had to say, oh, I have to get back to Montreal now? Or?
0: It was actually was, I actually had to have a discussion with these people and say, look, if I do this, uh, I'm doing it for you. Are we in? Are we going to do this? And I, I was too young to retire, to be fair. Um, and it was my baby. I mean, I started this. I saw it grow to this to this beautiful thing, and watch it almost uh, go completely under. And but I believed in it. I mean, we had we still had customers, some customers in Montreal that believed in us. Uh, these people are are focused. I mean, they 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 bleed service. So it was it was actually an easy decision to make to buy it back. Um, but buying it back, the sacrifice was not just financial for my end. You have to put a business together that is viable, in other words i'm a seven twenty four shop in order to do seven twenty four you have to have people there three shifts a day and on weekends, and they have to be there. they have to be physically there you 're not just telling them it's a seven twenty four and they're calling some guy on on you know on a cell phone right It costs money and i and when I first bought the company back, the business wasn't there actually to have somebody there, but in order to create the business in order to go out and, and sell the business to customers and say look come come to us this is what we do um i had to do it and so, so th-
1: this was a kind of build it they will come versus yeah. a get the business and then kind of yeah. chase afterwards
0: you had you had to have the structure in place if the structure wasn't there they were not going to come because what what differentiates you from every other company that does it and especially in, in this province right
1: now in this version too yeah. when you're including your key team members yeah are you really including them in these type of decisions, or are you back to, you know? And I'm just using your words earlier. Yep. You back to the control, control.
0: I so ultimately, I my role today is president of the company, so I do have the final say. But um, it is it is evolved around these individuals. So they they're telling me what I mean. I, I have a vision. I know what we where we want the company to go. But ultimately. Um, I will tell you the best example I can give you is when I first started the business in version one, I would go on vacation for a week and it would be stressful. I mean, I I was on the phone. I, I, I couldn't relax. And today I go on vacation. I actually take a one month vacation in the summertime and I don't have to worry because the business runs by itself and it runs by itself because.
1: Because there's the right people there. The
0: right people are in place, and they each each one knows what they're doing, and that's it.
1: What percentage of the business, because before you were saying that 90-95% yeah. was U.S. business, U.S. customers. Yeah. What percent is that today?
0: So 95% today is Canadian, and 5% is the U.S. So I still am in the U.S., and in fact, I continue to grow the U.S. Um, my largest customer is actually a U.S. customer today, where we support over 5,000 individuals. Um, but... Most of it is now in Canada, and so what it does is there's a security there also of knowing you know, currency. <laughs> well, currency is one, but it's it's local, so you kind of you kind of know, and it's expanding from there. So I'm actually going back into the U.S. I'm expanding into the rest of Canada. So I'm going to get back to where we were, actually we're already back to where it was, believe it or not, financially at least. So,
1: now what about you know I I'm gonna you know I, I have a whole bunch of questions. Um, pricing did your pricing change from version one to version two? Um, you know, and I know version one is the pre-sale and you're, you know, you're, you're controlling and you're, you're having these great, you know, U S uh, clients yeah. now you're more Canadian. Yeah. Uh, so it's Canadian dollars, not U S. So it there's is. less fluctuation. It is. It is. Uh, how much does pricing come into play? How often do you look at it? Uh, compare it to your competition?
0: Well, if you ask my accountant, I don't look at it often enough, (laughs) but you, you, I do look at it. Obviously there's a, the problem here is it's, it's a very, very competitive market. So you have to do a great job. I think you have to do more than a great job. I think you have to go beyond, beyond, you know, what customers are expecting, um, But you got to keep the prices at a level where it's affordable. Remember, we're going we go after uh, small, medium businesses, and I say small, medium. uh, It could be as high as 500 users, could be higher. So I consider that a a medium business. Uh, But they're looking at their costs always, always. So you have to keep it at a level where it's fair. You know, you're you're treating your 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 customer with. uh...
1: Now, just quickly before we kind of move on to the next segment uh, in like 30 seconds, CDMS, yep. not exactly the catchiest name from a marketing no, standpoint. It's not. What are your quick thoughts on that?
0: Um, my thoughts is I can't change it now. It's too late. 22 it's family. Years later. <laughs> it's 20, family. It's 22 years yeah. later. But remember what I said when I first started, uh, the goal was to, I uh, was a one man show and I did it. Actually, I did it for my family. I did it for my family. And so, so there, there is a, a background behind the name, but what I wanted is the four letters that are there. It's Chris. Uh, Danielle, Michael and Stephanie, which are my wife and my two children. So that was the idea behind it. I just wanted that. 22 years later, do I regret that it's that? Yeah, a little bit, but it's still, (laughs) it's my family. And in, in fact, the people that are there with me today are my family. So... Right,
1: and the service, of course, speak volumes.
0: And the service speaks volumes, absolutely.
1: So, uh, and it's a, it's a it's a great way just to end this segment because we're talking about family, and I know we're going to move on to the next topic with with Michael Newton and talk about transition, and whether it's family transition or whether it's moving on. I know we
2: spoke with Chris about selling to a third party, so when we come back, uh, we'll explore a lot of that. So that and Chris Simeon's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way.
0: For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.
2: Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur presented by F.L. Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit The jobs Quebec business. Dan Delmar and F.L. Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And we have... Chris Simeon of IT solutions firm CDMS, his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But we welcome back Michael Newton, of course, of FL as well, uh, to hear uh, to talk about uh, transitioning family businesses. Welcome back, Mike. Hey Dan, how you doing? Good. How are you? And and when he's not
1: filling in and co-hosting, you know, he's he's here as a, as an expert in other areas. Yeah. And uh, Mike, you know, we were, were listening and you you were piping in as as Chris was. Recounting his, his story about selling to uh, selling his, his business and then kind of buying it back after. There must have been a ton of thoughts going through your head, certainly uh, on, on, from the U.S. side of things, certainly where the dollar is. Um, w- what, would you, what would you like to share? What's popping out of your head uh, we, right now? We
3: don't have enough time to run through everything, I think. I mean, I, I, I look at it and you see, you know, so many times where larger businesses or public companies have come in to buy a Canadian business, U.S. You know, US businesses come in to buy Canadian. I have mean, a very hard time hitting the marketplace and maintaining the service. Levels like Chris was talking about, kind of driving it into the ground. Um, we're starting to see again a lot of flurry. We've had for a while a flurry of M and A activity, uh, which is great. Uh, though it also makes me worry that we're coming to the end of a business cycle. We usually start to see a lot of this when companies are trying to to, to create synergistic uh, environments and are looking to bolster revenue. Uh, you know, in in certain environments. So it it leaves me a little bit worried. Uh, I think the big concern on a family business transition is when you're coming to a cycle like we'll come to the end of a cycle where we are right now, valuations are very high. And, and and if you're comparing to the opportunity to sell to a U.S. buyer who in many cases multiples will range seven, eight, in some cases get as high as 12, which you won't see in Canada. You'll see five to sevens, four to sevens in Canada. And and, and what it means is if you're going to transition your business to a family member, it's a huge, huge decision. one. Uh, obviously, is the next member in the family capable of doing this? Two, you're doing this a, in a market that's very high, so the value of being transitioned to the family members at a very high value. And three, probably more importantly, you could be leave, leaving a huge amount of money on the table if you're going to sell to a third party. So you know you have to sit back and look and say, is this about perpetuity and legacy, or is this about money? And you know, unfortunately, we've watched many multi-generational uh, families fall apart. And it would have been cheaper for the kids to stay home and get a salary from the family as opposed to, uh, to keep it going. Well, then th- this, therein lies the question, you know, do families
1: talk it out or do the patriarch matriarchs that really understand the market and the business say, you know what, kids, uh, yeah, there's a shot, but you know what, it might be in your best interest for us to just get a much higher price elsewhere and go find something else to do.
3: You know, it definitely is an issue. Uh, I think you're going to have, you know, from A to Z when it comes to, to, to looking at that type of environment within the family business, you're going to have the control freak who's, you know, ultimately at the end of the day going to make the decision and uh, whoever's around. You're uh, looking in the mirror, right? I was looking in the mirror, but I, this time I was looking to my right who uh, is Chris, so he apparently he was a self-professed control freak. But was, was. Was. That's what yes. I said. Was a self-professed control freak. Um, and, I, and I think what you have to do, and I, and I think you owe it to the family, is to look at what the opportunities are. If you can go out and find a business that is going to give you an 8, 10, 12 multiple, uh, and you're going to transition it down, how much upside is left? uh, Is that family member going to take in order to actually ever reach that kind of dollars? And I think those are the things you have to put on the table. It's a lot of money.
2: What if the succession plan is ready, but the successor isn't? You know, if you have, like, Buster Bluth, who's in his sixth year of college or something, and he'll get there, but he's not quite there yet, what kind of solutions do you have for that kind of
3: scenario? Well, if you're still hanging around Animal House and uh, Blatarsky, I don't think you're going to have much of a transition <laughs> program. But uh, you know what? It, it, it's very difficult. I mean, the family members, uh, you know, life happens while we're making plans, right? And and, and even if, you know, uh, little Johnny or little Sarah's coming out of university and supposed to be taking over... Uh, the likelihood that they 're going to drop out of school sorry jump out of school and, and, and create that environment is is almost nil in most cases, so you know your strategic plan of, of where you 're going to go with a family member it 's a long, arduous decision uh, in many cases it 's easier to sell, pay the tax, take home your huge amount of money, and move on. You will hear some parents say i don 't know what my kids are going to do if they don 't have the family business. this has been everybody 's lifestyle." Um, and they can't necessarily work for somebody else. They can't work for somebody else, and the corollary to that is some other people don't want them, you know. And and we've seen a lot of times where the next generation just can't, you know, work at another job uh, because they're spoiled rotten. And it's very, very difficult. It's a hard, it's a hard game to play. And I would tell anybody who's going to that market: if you've got a huge opportunity to sell, I think you seriously have to look at what those dollars are. Uh, you know, legacy is great, but uh, at the end of the day, how much, uh, how much does the family need to, to live?
1: Chris, you know, do you, you are know, you're, you're still a young guy, notwithstanding your version one into version two now.
0: Twenty four years old, sir. Twenty four. So,
1: perfect. How how do you? How far do you think into the future? You know, your your kids I, are younger, but how yeah. far do you think into the future? Actually,
0: my kids today, my oldest is twenty nine, my youngest is twenty six, so it's there, right? I mean it's not they're not they're not little kids anymore. Um I do think about it. Uh to be fair, uh it's not my decision. It's actually their decision more than mine. Uh it's there. If tomorrow one of them comes to me and says, "Look, I'd like to do this," great. I, to me, I encourage them to do what what they like to do. I, the build the the business that I built, I built it because I love to do what I I, I love the IT. I love to to help people. I love to help companies. Uh, if it's not in their DNA, then. You know, they have to go do what they find is, is good for them, right? But
1: but definitely as early as you can try and establish that because there could be a pretty long ramp up period. It,
0: it is. So if tomorrow one of them said to me, I want to do this tomorrow, it's not, it's not, it'll take, it'll take a long time, 10, 15 years before they can take over and and do it. And in fact, you're growing the business in the, in the same time, right? So you're, you kind of have to do both at the same time. You got to bring them up to speed and grow the business.
3: I think the the healthy dose uh, dose of realism is is the hardest thing to find in these exercises. I think you deal with a lot of emotion, uh, especially if you are the founder looking at the next generation going, this is the best thing for us. I want to keep this going. I want to look at the life it's given us. Um, but you have to look at the, uh, you have to look at the, the realism that's in there. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people get caught in emotion and don't see the logical side of things. And I've watched many, many families spend, spend an awful lot of good money after bad trying to make it work for the next generation where, like I said, it would have been cheaper if they would have stayed home and paid them a $300,000 a year salary. How do you communicate
2: consistency and, and continuity to your clients when you're going through a transition? Uh, on a family
3: business side, or any transition, family business. So on a family business side, I mean, you hopefully that uh, you know the, the the one thing you bring to the table in a family business is the consistency of the family. Uh, hopefully, the next generation has been involved for a, a while with you as part of the ramp up period, as Chris was saying. Um, and so you've you should already have this natural progression in there. Um, It certainly creates a much more stable environment than it does by bringing in a disinterested third party who's buying uh, buying out the business. I think for most of your customers, most of your staff, it's just a continuation. They don't see it as a complete change. Uh, that third-party acquisition can be very scary for everybody involved. So I think you have very, two very different approaches. But certainly, like Chris was saying, it, this is the type of thing that takes years on a family business side. And if you don't get that next generation who wants to roll up their sleeves and be involved, uh, you're going to scare away a lot of clients.
1: And this is, this is really it. It's, it's the ramp-up time, it's communication, and and certainly a lot more than that, but definitely those two things. Thanks very much, Mike, uh, Thanks for sharing all that. And Chris, your, your stories as well. And as we come up to the last moment of the show, of the shows we do each week, and this one, the last for, for calendar 2018, Chris, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur?
0: Um, I don't have just one or, or, or Or, 10 or two or 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 three, um, diversify. That's number one. You have to diversify. One of the mistakes that I made as entrepreneur is I focused on, you know, a few very large customers that took a lot of my time and did not think. In the future, you know what's going to ha- what happens if this customer's not there anymore. So diversify is number one. Two, um, listen to the folks around you. You're hiring good people. Uh, you're trusting them. They they've shown that they know what they're doing, uh, but you got to listen. And so that would be my big my biggest advice is listen to people around you. They know they're they're trying to to help themselves, but you also and the company. Um, those are I would say the two. And make sure at home that you have a good communication where they're not where you're, you're, they know that you're working 24 hours a day and there's somebody there to support you when you get home. So
1: No, that's really great. Support is huge. And, you know, Dan, my quick takeaway is, yes, you can, you can be the controlling shareholder. You can be a, a control freak. And, you know, Lord knows that, you know, I have my moments like, like some of you guys. But if you can be open-minded as well, there are some fantastic ideas, some great people around.
2: Listen and engage them. Chris and Mion of CDMS, thanks so much for stopping by this evening.
0: Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: And Michael Newton, thanks as well for your thanks. advice. Happy holidays to we'll see see you Thank in you the year. And Josh, happy holidays. There it is again. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas on uh, all of them. Whatever you're celebrating, uh, enjoy it. And Josh, we'll see you back here on the 21st. Now, on the 21st, it's our contest winner. That's right, it is. And uh, and we'll uh, we'll reveal it at a little later date. A little later, okay. Yeah. It's it's someone who's familiar to CJD's audience, and uh, she knows what she's talking about when it comes to human resources. Let's leave it at that today's entrepreneur on CJD 800. Don't forget the community section at flmontreal.com where you can listen to 10 years worth of programs. Have a great holiday season and we'll see you in the new year. Good night.